Chapter Twelve of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. I will seek him whom my soul loveth. His name is Rothwell," said Mister Holman, referring to the letter. "You won't remember him. He is a new man and a leading man in that part of the country. He has a beautiful place about a mile from town. Why, it is the old Simon's place. You remember that?" he has made a paradise of it i have been told i don't know the man except by reputation but people everywhere seem to have the highest opinion of him and i like his letter extremely well it is manly and businesslike and at the same time friendly as he spoke he placed the letter in his son's hand adding do you really mean that you think you can go are you well enough strong enough it seems very strange I am perfectly well, said David, with his brightest smile, and it will give me very great pleasure to go for you, father. His voice was quiet enough, but his heart was in a tumult. How strangely and unexpectedly his way had opened before him. Not only was he being sent to the very city of his desires, but to the very house where he had been told that the new teacher was welcomed and honored. Surely this did not simply happen was the guiding hand of god marking out his way the next day was crowded with interests in the first place his father's business must be gone over in detail so that no possible question could come up and find him unprepared this of itself was interesting the father unused to explaining his business methods talked in riddles at first and the son questioned and jotted down items and returned to them and questioned again and finally offered suggestions, until at last his father's troubled face cleared, and he said with a relieved air, I believe you understand parts of it better than I do myself. What a head you have for business! You can be a rich man yet, David. Every member of the household was interested. It was an event for David to take a journey. What a fuss we are making! said Margaret, as she tucked a little package into the valise that his mother was carefully packing one would think you were going on a pilgrimage i am said david and he had a significant smile for francis who alone knew the peculiar interest which the trip had for him still every step of the way was fraught with interest to one who had been so long shut out from the world to meet and converse with business men as one of them was like a fulfilled dream of long ago undoubtedly these were of subordinate interests he had assured himself as he trod the streets of the once familiar city that the central object of his thoughts was becoming more and more a supreme control to him but for the present he must hold it well in check and put his father's matters first he was there to transact business for another the men who had gathered at mr rothwell's invitation found this young representative keenly alive to the interests that he represented and fairly well posted as to what had been done as well as pronounced in his ideas of what should be a looker-on at david holman during that busy day would have said that he was absorbed in the grape-growing industry and that he meant to be a man of mark among business men yet every nerve in his body was keenly alive to another interest he let no word escape him that could throw possible light on the problem that he felt he had come there to study because of this 
it was with peculiar satisfaction that he received and accepted a cordial invitation to return home with Mr. Rothwell when the day was done, and spend the night. This was an entirely unexpected opportunity. He had intended, of course, to stop in town at a hotel, but Mr. Rothwell, who at first glance had attracted him powerfully, was so earnest and hearty in his offer of hospitality that it would almost have been churlish to have declined it, and David was only too glad that this was so. The old Simon's place that had charmed his boyhood was so entirely changed that he could scarcely bring himself to believe it was the same. Cultivated tastes, and evidently ample means with which to indulge them, had wrought marvels. Not that there was any redundant or even lavish display of wealth merely as wealth. Nature had simply been assisted to make the most of her beauty. The house nestled in among vines and plants of a semi-tropical character, as if it were hiding from rude gaze a very home. Once within its walls, every room repeated and emphasized the same thought. Over the door of what was evidently the family room hung an exquisitely painted motto, the letters of which were composed of branches of cedar and sprays of fern, and the words were, The Lord will bless his people with peace. Opposite it hung another, of the same delicate workmanship, that said, The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Not only the mottoes, but the books and papers lavishly displayed, even a something in the very air itself, seemed to mark this as a home where religious life was made a centre. David, as he rested in the easy chair where his host had placed him, after giving due attention to his physical needs, went over in detail the prominent events of the day, with a view to discovering, if he could, the subtle spell which Mr. Rothwell seemed to weave about those with whom he came in contact. All day it had been marked, and it had been apparent that others felt the same. Unquestionably he had been the leader in the business conference which had just closed, and had shown himself the alert, far-seeing businessman, quick to make the right suggestion at the right moment, and alive to every suggestion from others that furthered a common interest. Yet through it all he had seemed to convey the impression that business, nevertheless, had with him been relegated to its true place, and was emphatically secondary. How did he do it? David found that he could not have put the explanation into words, perhaps it was an atmosphere. He had just reached the conclusion that if the ladies of this household were in any sense of the word their brother's equals, it must be an ideal home, when the door opened and his host entered, followed by a young woman in the simplest of white dresses, with no other ornament than that which her luxurious hair gave to a singularly pure face. The introduction was very simple. Mary, let me make you acquainted with Mr. Holman, who will be our guest tonight. My sister, Mr. Holman. So this was the rosebud of whom Miriam Brownlee had told him. He decided instantly that he never should have thought of applying that name to her. Would not Snowdrop have been more appropriate? No, for that seemed cold, indifferent. And this woman, while very quiet, did not impress one as cold, or as centered in self. I should think I would say Lily, the guest mused, carrying on his whimsical comparisons while he outwardly joined in the conversation. Unless, indeed, that name is too stately, it is not too pure, I think it fits her. 
she stood for a moment in the glow of the setting sun her hair which was almost gold color seemed to flash back the sun's rays but her face was the very embodiment of purity and peace involuntarily david's eyes glanced from her to the motto over the door the lord will bless his people with peace unquestionably this was one of his people she was like her brother and impressed this thought from the first moment he still had to ask himself how it was done there was also that curious impression which the brother had already given him that these two had interests of vast importance with which he had nothing in common being an utter stranger this was to be expected as a matter of course yet david found that it affected him strangely he could almost have petitioned to be led inside at once into that charmed atmosphere which pervaded their lives of what or of whom did they remind him could it possibly be of the stranger whose face he had seen but once there was also a striking contrast forcing itself to the front and insisting on claiming thought could two young women be more unlike than were miriam brownlee and this young girl he cut short the question following in the train of this and took himself sternly to task for allowing his thoughts to run riot in this fashion then gave his mind to the talk of the hour it was quiet commonplace talk david would not allow himself to believe that he was still drawing comparisons it might have happened that some of the same books he had discussed with miriam came before them it was curious though that this young woman should have had almost the same feeling about one author that he had himself expressed to francis but neither books nor kindred topics of any sort held his close thought how should he introduce the subject about which of all others he was anxious to learn suppose rumor had been entirely wrong and this household shrank from the very mention of the stranger he could not entertain that supposition he had seen him once and there had been nothing about him to shock such as these they might disapprove it is true but even in that case they could give reliable information he tried to arrange a conversation which would lead up naturally to the subject and ended by asking an abrupt question are you interested in the street scenes which seem to have become a part of your city's history miss rothwell very deeply interested surely you are also this was the instant response with an evident quickening of interest her last word had the inflection of a question and he replied to it is it a foregone conclusion rather i mean are all people becoming interested i am sorry to have to answer no but you it is different with you she must have heard of him instantly he wondered if miriam had told her of his cure if so how had she told it he could not say more until he discovered just what she knew or thought so he asked another direct question have you heard my story miss rothwell i saw your story i was present at that meeting when your friends brought you helpless on a cot yes i had heard of you as an utterly helpless and hopeless man and i saw you rise and walk away in all the triumph of perfect health i had never at that time seen anything so wonderful i can never forget it and i am certain that you cannot wish to they were fairly launched at last upon the topic which was evidently of keenest interest to both 
Miss Rothwell was an enthusiastic talker, and she found an eager listener in David Holman. Story after story, each in itself a marvel, flowed from her lips, glowing with the vividness that came from her being a sympathetic eye-witness. But his deeds, wonderful as they are, are not more faith-inspiring than his words, she said at last. You should hear one of his talks. I do not know whether to call them sermons or lectures. They seem, when one is present, more like conversation with one's friends. The people have no hesitancy in interrupting him to ask questions, and he never acts as though he considered it an interruption. Have you ever questioned him, Miss Rothwell? Not in public, but I have often done so in the quiet of our own home. He stops with us whenever he comes to the city, or at least whenever he can get away from the crowds. He comes here to rest, and we try not to have him disturbed while with us. He must be in sad need of rest. The people throng and press him all the time. We had hoped that he would be with us this week, but he has gone away again without taking any rest. A summons to the tea-table interrupted their conversation, and after tea there seemed no good opportunity for renewing it. The talk became general, and Mrs. Simons, who was very unlike her sister, led, and indeed at times monopolized it. Mary Rothwell slipped quietly away, and seated herself alone on the moonlighted porch, where David looked out at her wistfully from time to time. He would have been glad of an excuse for joining her. So eager had his heart grown for more talk about the new friend with whom she was so well acquainted, that he found it difficult to hold his thoughts in the direction of common conversation. He was glad when their host proposed early retirement, in view of the fatigues of the day. As he led the way to the guest-chamber, he said, "'We are giving you a signal honour to-night, Mr. Holman. I hope your heart appreciates it. This is the room which our special friend occupies whenever he can get away for a night of rest. We rarely offer it to others. We like to hold it ready for his use at any moment when he may choose to come.' but some domestic arrangements or changes have put our guest-chamber temporarily out of order, therefore we make you welcome here. We hoped we had reason for believing that you would enjoy the room all the better because of its usual occupant. "'I am honoured indeed,' said David, and his voice was so full of feeling that his host made sure he was not mistaken in his estimate." Left to himself, David threw himself upon a couch that had evidently been prepared with a view to giving as much rest as possible to a weary body, and gave himself up to keen satisfaction over the thought that he was actually sitting where that man was in the habit of resting. He leaned forward presently, and touched with reverent hand the rows of books on the well-filled shelves at the end of the couch. He imagined the hands of the stranger touching them, he tried to think how he must look with his face in repose, and his thoughts on books, and other everyday matters such as filled common lives. Never in his life had David Holman's heart thrilled with the thought of any person's friendship, as the mere mention of this stranger's name had begun to thrill him. The feeling, instead of quieting with the passing days, was increasing in power. What was to be the outcome? Evidently he was the guest of a family who understood such a mental condition, and shared it. Indeed, in them it was perhaps intensified, 
as would be natural with those who knew the stranger well, who were indeed privileged to call him their friend. And yet, mused David, he cannot be to them what he is to me. What is friendship compared with a relationship born of infinite helpfulness? Let me remember what a word, a look, from him did for me. Is it any wonder that I have a feeling of loving reverence for him that amounts almost to worship? Yet that, of course, is wrong, and is unlike me. I must hold myself in check. But I must know more about that man, I must understand from himself what his power over me is. I must brave my father and Miriam and everybody, if necessary, in order to know this. It is not possible to be content with less than this. Indeed, after what has passed, I cannot think it would be right. Having reached a decision that he meant should not be altered, he tried to put it all aside and knelt for his evening prayer but here again was an experience that disturbed even shocked him the image of the stranger came between him and his heavenly father came persistently refusing to be put aside he arose at last shocked and distressed what did it all mean was his mother right in attributing the influence to the great enemy of men even though it were reasonable to suppose that the age of prophets had come again a prophet should not come between man and his God. That were idolatry. All things considered, the night was a disturbed one. David's broken sleep was troubled by perplexing, contradictory dreams, and his waking thoughts were hardly less disquieting. Morning found him with only one fixed idea, the determination to seek a personal interview with this master of his thoughts as soon as it was possible to do so. End of chapter 12